Welcome to another episode of the Gospel Forum. My name is Nick, and I'm joined here with Shane Swayze, King of the Teachers. <laughs> I love that intro, thank you. You're welcome. So, uh, tell us, King of the Teachers, why do you have this wonderful title? Well, other than the fact that your wife bestowed this title upon me, um, I, I, don't, would... I don't think it was my wife that did it. Okay. I think, I think it was... Um, the county in which you live. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. So I'm a, a music teacher in Sarasota County. I was uh, the county teacher of the year uh, for 2019 and one of the uh, finalists for uh, the Florida State Teacher of the Year. So along that journey, uh, I was, I guess, in some regard, king of the teachers. Although I did not win for the state, which made me more like the jester jester (laughs) jester probably more fitting if you know me yeah so so you're a teacher by trade for work um do you have any funny work stories just overall it doesn't even necessarily have to be with your teaching oh yeah see teaching work stories would be a whole episode unto themselves because when you work with kids from five years old to 22 years old and I work at a center school for students with special needs so I have so many stories uh, in that regard but I'll, actually I'll tell you one this is this is funny and embarrassing all at the same time I was in college and I had actually um, was looking for a job and so at this point I was actually saving up to uh, buy an engagement ring so I could propose uh, to Stephanie, who is now my wife. Uh, we'll be celebrating 10 years uh, in a couple uh, days. But I was trying to save up some money, so I was desperate. I figured I would do anything. Walked around the mall uh, in Tallahassee and came across a hiring sign at the Hallmark gift card store. So I went in, put an application, talked to the manager, and she loved me. Everything was going great. I was excited. I was going to land the dream gig at Hallmark. Uh, And she said, well, the only thing you have to do before uh, you can start is to take this computer-based ethics test. And I said, okay, well, what does this entail? Well, just answer these questions honestly, and I'm sure you're going to be just fine. You seem like a nice, upstanding young man. And I said, oh, yes, of course. So I took the ethics test, and it asked some ridiculous questions. I remember one of them vividly was if you put your coins into a vending machine and you got extra change back, what would you do? And like the options were keep the change, leave the change for the next person, call the vending machine company and tell them that you've received this extra change. (laughs) So I was honest, I just said, probably like most of our listeners, I'd just pocket the couple extra quarters and you know go about my day. I guess that's not what they wanted to hear because I had to get called into the Allmark office uh, and be told, I'm sorry, but we can't hire you for this job because you didn't pass our ethics test, which was about the worst feeling you could ever have that a secular (laughs) card company, which puts out cards that joke about poop and farts and wieners and all kinds of inappropriate things, didn't hire me because I was not ethical. And so I had to walk away and uh, 
find another place of employment. I still don't like to visit Hallmark companies <laughs> because of that fact. Nick's crying over here. It was embarrassing at the time, and I guess it's still embarrassing the now. The best part is, is I think this is the, like, the third or fourth time I've heard this story, and I laugh just as hard every time. <laughs> yeah, so if you want to hire me for your card company, think twice. Man. Well, that's enough of our banter. We can move on. <laughs> uh, well, I guess I'll give one. Uh, so, um, I don't have any stories that's as funny as that one. Um, but, um, every now and then I will bring up the fact that I had a really, um, oh, one would say crappy job. Um, so my first year of high school, uh, that first summer after freshman year, I had a job, um, cleaning portalettes or porta potties, if you will. And yeah, that was uh, that was rough. So I I did that. Uh, started in June. So imagine being the sweltering heat of. That's when porta potties smell their best. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yes. Uh, especially the ones that are on the construction site that you have to drive to, and you're already a little sweaty just mm. from being in the truck that its AC was like twenty five percent. Yes. And. Uh, once you get there, you're all, you know, kind of sweaty already. And then you open it up and it's just rancid. And there's the ones that we did, uh, there was like a, um, what would you call it? Like an empty valve. So like, like where you sit, like right about like where your heels are, like you like kick back, like that's where the valve was like at the bottom. And what you had to do is you had to open it up and stick a hose, like, onto it like a vacuum hose on it like really quick and stuff always oh came out goodness. a little bit okay okay you're painting too good of a picture here with your words yeah. and uh and then you know it would you know vacuum stuff out and then you had to take like a uh pressure washer but not like full pressure washer like down in there kind of spray things out like so it can just um clean it out and then you know take the hose off screw the cap back on and then you'd spray down all the inside just to kind of clean everything out and that was one disgusting and then, and then you go to the next one because they normally have you know about 10 of them like a at day like each oh in no, one at site each, at like one site or something like that Gosh. so we're probably gonna have a lot of interested listeners lining oh, up yeah. for porta potty cleansing services no i will never do that again <laughs> there was there was one in particular, I won't paint any pictures, but there was one in particular. I decided that day I was quitting. So, you I can, don't blame you. you. Can, I can you barely can listen to your story yeah, without so. uh, getting ill. So, speaking of uh, work, um, Shane, you recently wrote an article on work. Yes, can I did. Can you tell us about it? Uh, first of all, let's start off with um, what is work? That's a great question. Uh, so if you want to, check out the article called Labor of Love, Why Work Matters in the Christian Life. It's on our website, the Gospel Forum. Um, wh- what is work? And really that's the question, isn't it? Um, 
how do we define work? Uh, why do we work? Where do we work? And how should we go about doing it? So I think, um, and we were discussing this, uh, work really has gotten a bad rap, I think, um, because work is something that we see in the garden. Um, God placed Adam in the garden to care, to work the land, um, and to care and protect it. And um, what we really see is that man was created to work. Now, the problem is that once sin entered the picture, uh, work began to change. And so what we think of as work now is often the, the toil behind work. Um, yeah. I'm thinking of your portalette job right now <laughs> and the toil that I imagine went into no, toilet. This, the, to, the toil in the toilet. Um, but I imagine went into that and that was not ever part of God's original design. But work itself... Um, where we're using our hands, where we're laboring um, with the gifts and, and talents that God has given us. That was always part of God's plan. And uh, you said uh, that this, is, this goes all the way back to the garden where God uh, has man work and uh, you know, taking care of the garden. Would you say then that work is actually part of a characteristic that transfers from God to us in the uh, image of God that is within man. Uh, the reason why I'm asking is we, we go back to Genesis chapter 2 in the very first verse uh, starting in verse 1 it says thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them and on the seventh day God finished his work. Mm-hmm. So the reason why we work and the reason why work then seems good at that point is because work is actually a demonstration that we are created in the image of God. Yeah, most certainly. I mean, it's just another aspect of um, the way that we image God in our own lives. And we see that uh, God um, created, and now we are called in the same way to create and that takes place in many different uh, facets of our life and in many different ways. Uh, but we do that by working. And much in the same way, we're also called to rest. And we see that after God works, he rests. Yes. When we shall have another episode see, We do that. need to like, have. Yeah, because I, I think that would be a really good episode on uh, the biblical idea of leisure. Yes. So, uh, but that's not our topic today. So, uh, so you said... Um, there are different ways that we can, would you say, participate in creation? Not like the overall creation, but maybe the details within creation. I, like, you know, I know someone might nail me on that, you know, because it's not worded exactly correct. But the idea that we actually do create, what are some of those ways that we create? Well, I mean, you look at our different roles, um, in our lives, um, we are given uh, the ability to create, um, and I talk about this um, in the article, but where do we see ourselves creating different opportunities to serve? Because that's really, Adam was called to serve the land, to serve God's creation. Now we're called to serve God's creation, um, and that looks 
different depending on where where we find ourselves. And so Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, um, talks about where we now serve, where we can, what he says, walk in love. And so we see that one of the areas where we do that is as, our, as wives or husbands. Um, and so one of the ways and where we're creating things is our relationship with our spouse, whether it's husband or wife. Um, and we are really creating an image of Christ and his bride. We are binding one another together in love, bound together by what Christ has already done, sealed by the Holy Spirit. And those are our, that's, that's a calling, that's a vocation that we are given. Now, we only think of work often as our nine to five, where we clock in and clock out, what brings in the money. Um, but one of our most important places of work is as a husband or a wife. And um, before we uh, move too much farther, um, you know, like I, I do want to talk about that idea of vocation. So let's, you know, put a earmark there. Um, you know, so we see there is a creational aspect in the relationship between the husband and wife, and that continues to grow and flourish. Um, what about, you know, furthering that a little bit? Uh, do you think the work of creation, like, really manifests like a little bit further with the creation of a child yeah of course um yeah i mean i i I loved what you were (laughs) what you were saying i didn't want you to stop um there because all of that um in terms of imaging how god has brought forth us and so we play a role in how we do that when we work Um, So bringing forth a child um, is another picture of how God himself worked. God himself created man in his image. And in the same way, uh, we are working to create um, in his image as well. And we see that uh, be fruitful and multiply mandate, which was a call to work. And we see that in our own lives. Gotcha. So, um, so now, now on this idea of vocation, um, what does the word vocation mean? Like, is it close to vacation? <laughs> For some of us, <laughs> unfortunately, um, no. And and that's it's a word that's not uh, talked about often. What, um, what would be like a modern jargon? Uh, a modern modern vernacular for the term vocation. Um, now you're the you're the, the scholar more than than me, but I've always seen it. It's it, when it's used um, in terms of uh, when we're talking about the the biblical view of vocation. It's always used in a divine sense. Okay. Almost seen as like calling. Okay. Um, so and, like I feel called to this kind of work. In a way, yes. And I, I actually I would flip that around. Instead of I feel called to this kind of work, I would almost say God has called me to this kind of work. Okay. Um, it's led more by where God has placed you, what He has given you, where uh, you find yourself being able to serve more than our own desires 
in what we feel uh, best suits our own needs or wants. Which, which actually brings up uh, one of your points in the article. You said, when do we work? You, uh, in the article, you say, uh, many of us look forward to a time uh, when we'll be excited about our jobs. We say <laughs> things along the lines of, when I get this position, I'll be happy. One day, I will do something important. Once my kids are old enough to go to school, I can start my life again. And, uh, you know, this kind of ties in like your earlier point, like, let me, uh, so backtracking in the article, you say, why do so many Christians seem to fall prey to the same models of our day? Get a job that you love to do more than anything. Follow your heart, chase your dreams, find a job that you'll be excited to go to every day. What you're saying is, um, you know, you know, these are fine. You can chase your dreams in a way, but it's God who put the dream there. Of course. And then you chase that. Yes. It, it doesn't start with you. It starts with God. Correct. Um, and then your feelings and emotions should be um, submitted uh, in that regard. Yeah. And we've we've turned work into such a... Uh, it's almost such a self-centered um, task uh, and we've made it all about the individual and whatever you need to do to be happy or to make yourself look good or to achieve whatever you're hoping to achieve and I'm not wanting to say that any of those things are necessarily bad completely but when they become our sole desire when they become what drives everything well, what happens is then we use everybody else in our work and in our where we find ourselves, and we use them to be, to benefit ourselves, uh, to serve ourselves. Right, and and instead of us playing out the the grand drama that God has laid us out in, everybody else becomes. And I think Michael Horton uses this. They become supporting actors in our life story. Mm -hmm. And so instead of seeing as ourselves as is able to serve all of these people we find ourselves with, wherever, wherever we're working, as a cashier or as a laborer or as a construction worker or as a teacher, instead of looking or around or as a portalette cleaner, instead of looking around and saying, God has put me here and I can serve my neighbor in these ways, we start to say, well, how can I use them to get a better position or to better myself or to finally get to my dream job? And along the way, we miss out on so many ways in which we can actually do what God wants us to do, which is love our neighbor exactly where he's placed us. So then, um, then there is an agenda behind our work, uh, in a sense. There can uh, be. Um, so, um, you know, not that having an agenda behind something is always a bad thing, uh, provided the agenda is good. <laughs> right. Um, so what you're saying, in essence, is um, not that our happiness is bad, no. but when our happiness, which is a good thing, becomes ultimate, yeah. our happiness then becomes our idol. Right. Um, we tend to idolize ourselves too often in that regard, which is why I said other people become a means to serve us, uh, to benefit us rather than our work uh, be a tool in which we serve others. Yeah, and that's a great way to that's a great way to say it. And let's go back to where do we work, and we'll tie that in. We talked about husbands and wives. 
well, what's the struggle in marriage? It's seeing your spouse as someone that you're willing to serve and who isn't just placed there to fulfill your every want and desire. You know, it talks about wives submitting to their husbands, which is a difficult thing because you're doing it as to the Lord. And then husbands are supposed to lay down their lives in a way that mimics how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's not an easy task. No. But you can't do that when you're most concerned about how your spouse is there to fulfill your needs or to serve you in the way that you were hoping for. You can only do that when you see yourself as a place that God has placed you to work to love her or whoever your spouse happens to be. So would you say then uh, also that the idea, you called it the dominion mandate earlier. Uh, can you just repeat real briefly what that means? Oh, are we talking about when I mentioned about be fruitful and multiply? Yes. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, God has... Where can that be found? Is that just like random books or is that actually in the scriptures? Because, <laughs> well, I mean, not everybody, you know... No, you're, you're right. I'll flip there. You tell them where it is so I can... Uh, Genesis chapter 2. So I can uh, give myself a second since I don't have that opened just yet. All right. Uh, you can go to Genesis one twenty-two. Yeah, that's where I'll go first. So we have uh, very beginning of creation and... God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying... Be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds multiply on the earth. So we see already in creation, we have animals being fruitful and multiplying. Um, and then we see in verse 28, God creates man in his own image. And then he says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Subdue it is a work term. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God's telling them to go out and work. But he's not doing it in a way that's burdensome. He's doing it in a way that's glorious, in a way that images how he himself is making the world. And in a small way, we see every opportunity that we have to work. While it is marred by sin now and involves toil and involves suffering in a lot of instances. Um, we see that as an opportunity then to glorify God because what it really is is doing the task that God first called us to. Yeah, amen. And, and I, don't think it's, um, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that the idea of being fruitful and multiplying is both before and after God saying, let us make man in our image. Mm -hmm. It's not just the very fact that let us make, which means God's working, but two, let us make man in our image. Well, what is that image? It is the image of working, working and resting. And, uh, and then God gives the command, be fruitful. Well, how do you be fruitful? Well, think of like a farmer, you know, working, mm -hmm. digging up, tilling the soil, planting the seed, watering it, loving it, caring for it, pruning it when needed. And then fruit comes from this. Multiply and, okay, so I just filled this little tiny land plot. No, it says fill the earth. 
and subdue it mm-hmm. and have dominion over the fish and of the sea and the birds of the air and over the living creatures of the earth that move, you know? So um, this idea of being made in God's image, a God who works, man must therefore work. So we have a... Um, one would almost say we have a command and demand to work. Work is moral in that regard. Right. Work is virtuous. And so... That's interesting, the idea that work itself is virtuous because I think that's hard for a lot of people. People almost view work and this idea of, I I put ministry in quotes, but work and ministry uh, as two separate categories so i'll work during the week and then maybe in some way i will serve god maybe that's go to church maybe that's go to church and bring my family maybe that's go to some sort of outreach opportunity or um some sort of small group where i'm able to again connect and do work for the lord uh how should we look at that idea that work and ministry um, are they the same? Are they separate? Well, the, I, th- I think that's a great idea because you look at the two words that um, that the scriptures actually say here in Genesis, um, speaking to Adam, uh, that he is commanded to keep and to work. Well, that term keep uh, can also be translated as guard, okay? Um, We see it in uh, Genesis 2.15. It says, The Lord God took the man, that is Adam, and put him in the garden to work it. Now, remember, this is before the fall. So not only is God working before the fall, but mankind is Mm -hmm. working before the fall to work it and to keep it. Well, What's interesting is uh, if man did not uh, do the right thing, if he did not work or keep here specifically, uh, it says that you will surely die. Now you're thinking, wait, how's that got to do? No, that, that says if you eat of the tree, you will surely die. Well, we'll, we'll get into the biblical theology of, uh, of that another time. But you read you know, the rest of this story and you know, we know the serpent tempts. Uh, Eve and Adam, they fall. And then at the end of chapter 3, um, it says, uh, you know, then behold, man has come like one of us, knowing now he has reached his hand. Take also the tree of life that he might live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out from the garden to work the ground which he was taken. So man is still working, but then. Notice the next verse. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden, he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword and turned away to guard the way. That is the same term. Mm -hmm. So there's guarding and keeping. And then we get to Leviticus, and it talks about the roles of the priests. And there was a third of the priests that were supposed to be set aside to guard Mm -hmm. the temple. Not only to guard uh, people from getting inside the the um, outer courts, or really kind of the inner courts, like when you look at the layer, but uh, only covenant members were to be in that inner court. But then there was a guard that guarded the most holy place, right. um, and they guarded with swords. 
Uh, if you tried going there, they will kill you. Mm-hmm. If you got past them, God will kill you. <laughs> so the priest's work was to work and to guard. And then we see Jesus fulfilling this role. But then you see later throughout the whole New Testament that we are called a kingdom of priests, that we are to work and to guard. And some people like to say, oh, well, yeah, that's the minister. He is to guard and to work. No, 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 no. Remember back at Adam. Well, what was he doing? He was working a what? A garden. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, I, I would argue that it was a garden temple, but then that just makes my point all the more. Right. That, it's very clear how this theology plays out over yeah. the course of, of biblical history. Um, so here, I mean, and what we should bring in Martin Luther uh, real briefly because I would encourage people to read a lot of what he's written uh, on the doctrine of vocation because the Protestant Reformation and really much of what Luther talked about really shaped uh, how vocation was viewed because uh, during the medieval ages and during this time, ministry was really, and just vocation itself was seen to be only done by the clergy. Um, And he really revolutionized the idea that whether you were a farmer or a baker or a cobbler, you were as much serving God in your vocation than any priest was. And that's because God had given you an opportunity uh, to serve your neighbor in that role. And uh, he famously was uh, quoted as saying, God doesn't need your good works, your neighbor does. And really our role in work is to provide these good works to people who need them most. And so you see the, you know, the cashier and the teacher and the stay-at-home mom and the banker, doesn't matter where you find yourself in because you have people that you're able to serve and work for. Um, And I think uh, just learning a little bit more about Luther's views of those um, is really informative because I think it gives us a good take on how we can serve one another in our roles. Yeah, yeah, amen. And so uh, we'll, uh, we'll end it on that note and because I know both you and I can talk on that this topic <laughs> for a million years here. So um, I wanted to come to our final segment, which would be our gospel nugs. Gospel nugs. And, uh, we haven't done this in a little bit. We haven't. So, uh, so I wanted to uh, take us to Deuteronomy 18. Okay, don't let us down because it's been a while. It has been. Okay. So uh, Deuteronomy 18, starting in verse 15, a lot of times, you know, people like to look at kind of the new prophetic movement and they like to point to this passage, uh, which is good, but the context is a little broader than uh, even people like to kind of focus in on there. Moses is speaking here. He says, the Lord, your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see this great fire any more, lest I die. And the Lord said to me, They are right uh, in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. 
and whoever, uh, and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word of the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. You see, um, Moses is saying that there is a, another prophet that's going to be like him. And you're like, oh yeah, there's a ton of them that came after him. <laughs> you know, there was, uh, you know, there was Elijah and Elisha. There was Isaiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, uh, you know, all. And all the, the minor ones. that is- And all the minor <laughs> ones, yeah. Like, uh, so, you know, there, of course, there was a ton of them. But how many of them actually brought the law? Well, none. They all pointed back to a law. Yet Jesus was a prophet, and he says, I bring you a new commandment. Mm-hmm. Um, how many times did Jesus say, um, um, you know, look at my works, for they testify about me? Yeah. And here it says, how may we know that the word is not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or true, well, you don't need to be afraid of him. Well, Jesus made several prophecies, and they did come to pass. And he did miracles, which so did Moses. You see, Jesus was this other prophet. Not only do we see... Uh, Jesus doing miracles like Moses, but he brought a law like Moses. Not only did Jesus bring a law, he brought a greater law, one that far more condemns, yet only so that he can save to the uttermost those who are drawing near to him. So, you know, I, I love I love the passage in Deuteronomy. You know, there's honestly, like, I mean, we could go, you know, a whole episode on this you know talking about you know only those in the assembly will hear his voice but then it wouldn't be a gospel nugget that that is exactly right <laughs> and you know I'll, I'll end it i'll end it on this uh you know the passage here says and i will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak all that i command him and jesus says i only speak what my father commands me amen so with that Gospel Nug, this was the Gospel Forum. I'm Nick Potts and Shane Swayze. And thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Keep on reforming. <laughs>